Welcome to The Gallipod with me, Galla Placidia. In this episode, I'm reading part four of my fic, Teenage Wasteland. If you're not here for dry fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning, this story deals with themes of domestic violence, child abuse, and alcoholism. I hope you enjoy Teenage Wasteland. Chapter four. There was one thing Harry kept remembering. It was Draco, seated across from him exhausted from answering all of Harry's questions, saying, Please, that's all I know. Please, I need to go. The the groceries. At the time, Harry had been disgusted by his cowardice, by his pathetic excuses. Now, though... He got out his pensive from his study, looked at memory Draco. He was sweaty and trembling, and his eyes flickered pathologically to the clock on the chimneypiece as he begged. The, the groceries. What had happened to him when he finally got home? Harry remembered the cowering terror he'd experienced as a child whenever he got anything wrong. The feeling that any mistake would be met with pitiless anger. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia had never hit him, but they had found other ways to punish him. Hunger and isolation and the spider-filled cupboard. As he watched Draco in the pensive... He recognised that look. It was powerlessness. Harry splashed cold water on his face. His body didn't hurt at all. It didn't for days after he saw Malfoy. Malfoy had been the only one to notice he was in pain. Had gone straight away to see what he could do about it. All this time he had seen Malfoy's cheating on his girlfriend as further proof of his continued treacherousness. Malfoy had slept with him to hurt him, and now he was doing the same to Adelaide. But of course, Malfoy hadn't slept with Harry to hurt him. He had come to Harry for help, and Harry had fucked him, then shouted at him. He thought of what he had said. You sure know how to pick your bosses, and winced. He tried to play on the piano, but couldn't stop thinking about Draco spacing out, staring at the fireplace, at the flames, as though he saw his future there. Harry flew to Ron and Hermione's, even though it was too late, really. They were in their pyjamas making hot cocoa. Harry, said Hermione. This is weird, said Harry, but can I sleep over? Er, said Hermione. Yes? Is everything all right? I think you guys are maybe like my wolf pack, said Harry. Wicked, said Ron. It's... Harry ran his hand over the back of his neck. Hey... Why didn't Malfoy go to Azkaban after the Tertius bust? Harry, are you all right? asked Ron. Yeah, said Harry. Just was wondering. Ron looked at Hermione, and she put more milk in the saucepan so there would be enough cocoa for Harry. Yeah, said Ron. It was sad, really. Obviously Tertius was a real piece of work, and at first it looked like Malfoy was involved, but it turned out to be a domestic violence case where he was concerned. We turned it over to the social workers. Domestic violence, said Harry. Yeah, you know, Tertius was knocking him around. Wouldn't let him leave the house, stole his money, that sort of thing. I don't know much. I wasn't on the case. I think maybe I wasn't a very good aura, said Harry. Ron and Hermione were silent, so he carried on. I made assumptions. I jumped to conclusions. I didn't look carefully enough. I never do. You're very brave, said Hermione, and determined which are key qualities in a good aura. Harry put his head on the table. What brought this on? 
asked Hermione. Nothing, said Harry, and wouldn't say more. He slept on the sofa in their bedroom. It was weird, and a little sad, and very comforting. Harry went to Dinsmore's shop twice in the next week, the first time in the hope that he would see Malfoy, the second to leave Malfoy a note letting him know that the adjusted potion worked perfectly. Five days passed, six, and still Harry felt no pain. "'Do you believe in hell?' asked Draco. "'No,' said Kevin. "'Do you?' Draco flexed the fingers on his right hand, tried to shrink them to a fist. "'Who goes, do you think?' he asked. "'It must change by time period. Dante says adulterers go to hell, and most people now would be adulterers by his standards.' Kevin waited. He had an irksome habit of waiting. "'Because I think, even if it doesn't exist, the fact that it might, and that one might have made choices that—' said Draco. Just the fear of hell is a form of hell, maybe. Wondering if you've repented enough, changed enough. I don't know that hell is a helpful conceit for you, said Kevin. Draco ignored him. What it comes down to, really, is who decides. Who's the guy on triage? How lenient is he, and on what basis does he decide what people deserve? You were talking about Potter, said Kevin. What about Potter made you think of all this? There was a mug on Kevin's desk that said, World's Best Therapist. Draco stared at it. It feels like he would know, he said. You feel as if Potter can tell you if you're going to hell? asked Kevin. Draco jerked his shoulders. You're making it sound stupid, he said. I'm just trying to understand, said Kevin. Who bought you that mug? asked Draco. Kevin looked at where he was gesturing. I bought it, he said. You bought yourself a world's best therapist mug? You're deflecting, Draco, said Kevin. Honestly, I'm reeling at your self-confidence. What a testimonial. When we're through, do you think I'll start buying world's best Draco mugs? Potter can't tell you what you deserve, Draco. You have to decide that for yourself. Draco plucked at a loose thread of wool on the sofa arm. I know, he said. I tell Adelaide this shit all the time. But you can't believe it about yourself, said Kevin. I just think it's different for me, he frowned. You know, I don't think anyone's looking out for Potter properly. I mean, he's obviously got some serious problems trusting people, for instance. And he's so self-sufficient all the time. I doubt anyone ever remembers he's just 22 and an orphan and trying to figure it all out. Do you think all that is true of you as well? asked Kevin said Draco, exasperated. You're impossible to talk to. It was the full moon on Saturday, and Harry was due to transform. He hadn't told anyone, but Malfoy would know, because the potion would be slightly different. Malfoy arrived on Thursday, looking handsome and distracted. Hey, said Harry. Here, said Malfoy, holding out the vial. Thanks. Tea? Oh, uh, all right, said Malfoy. He took the money Harry offered him and followed Harry into the kitchen. Harry leant against the counter and watched him as the water boiled. Malfoy's hand was glamoured again. It looked perfectly whole, and his clothes were neat and ironed. He always looked handsome in that way Harry could never achieve, chic and elegant, 
like an adult. Harry wanted to say sorry, but he didn't know where to begin, and he also felt vaguely opposed to opening the floor to apologies. He knew Draco would apologise back, about school, about the war, and somehow Harry really didn't want him to. You're turning this week, said Malfoy. Yeah. Will Granger and Weasley be there? What? No, of course not, said Harry. Malfoy gave him a peculiar look. It's perfectly safe, he said. Harry laughed. Perfectly safe, what a joke. He hadn't been perfectly safe since... Well, ever. People near him always got hurt, one way or another. Malfoy watched him with cold eyes as Harry finished making the tea, then said, Is it my potion-making ability that you don't have faith in, or yourself? Oh, what the fuck, said Harry. Jesus, Malfoy, what sort of a question is that? Malfoy shrugged one slender shoulder. You shouldn't be alone when you transform, he said. Doesn't it give you anxiety? All the books say that transforming in isolation is bad for your mental health. What are you, my mum? Leave it, said Harry, then waited for Malfoy to make some sort of dead mother joke. He didn't. He just put down his unsipped mug, then came lazily towards Harry, sinuous and cat-like. Fine, he said. We don't have to talk. We're bad at it, clearly. They didn't talk, and maybe the fact that Harry had been antagonistic ought to have made it feel more like... like hate sex, or meaningless sex, or even just sex. Instead, it was sensuous and slow. Each kiss they placed on each other's bodies felt like an exploration. You're gorgeous, Harry said, despite himself, and Malfoy looked so pleased and surprised that Harry hid his face in his neck, not wanting to see any more. They had never revisited the conversation about why Malfoy didn't want to let Harry fuck him. They just held close and touched each other and sucked each other without negotiating, figuring out what was right each time by instinct. It was no different now, but it occurred to Harry, as he gripped the back of his own neck to stop himself from touching Draco's hair, that they seemed to understand each other perfectly when they were silent. It had never been so good with anyone else. He had never felt so in sync with anyone else. You really won't have Granger or Weasley over? asked Malfoy when they were done. No, said Harry. Have you been thinking about that this whole time? Draco laughed, and it was a lovely sound, normal, like they liked each other. No, he said. I haven't been thinking at all for once. Harry didn't know how to answer that, and Draco left. Harry spent the next few days dreading the full moon. It was true what Malfoy had said. Transforming gave him terrible anxiety, not just on the day, but for almost a week afterwards. The entire experience was a painful ordeal. When he was reduced to his wolf brain, he panicked until the potion knocked him out. It was probably no more than fifteen minutes, but it always felt like an eternity in which he searched desperately for someone to help, and never found anyone. On Saturday, he ate a bleeding steak for dinner, then paced around his house, pent up and reckless. He'd already had the potion, could feel it fighting in his blood with his urge to tear up trees by the roots to run wild and free through the streets of London. Twenty minutes before the moon came up, there was a knock at his door. It was Malfoy. He held a plate with tinfoil over it and looked nervous. "'What are you doing here?' asked Harry. "'Let me in,' said Malfoy. And Harry did, stunned into obedience. Malfoy went into the kitchen and uncovered the plate, 
revealing a much more appetising steak than the one Harry had just eaten. Adelaide made it, he said. I don't think she noticed me sneaking it out. Harry could feel the different threads of him pulling at each other. The wolf in him was furious, wanted to throw the plate at the wall and then push Draco up against it and show him that he wasn't to belong to anyone else, only to one person, only to Harry. The normal, sane part of him felt sadness and disgust and guilt. I'm not hungry, he said. Why are you here? You shouldn't transform alone, said Malfoy. But I get that you're worried about hurting Granger and Weasley. With me, you won't be worried. Harry looked Draco up and down. You think I don't care about hurting you? Draco looked out of the window. You won't hurt me, he said. Unlike you, I have supreme confidence in my potion. I do care, said Harry. Draco looked at him. Of course I care. Draco's lips parted in a silent movement. He seemed bewildered. And I don't need you here, I'm fine, Harry added. You're so stubborn. It's not your best quality, said Malfoy, snapping back into normality. Why can't you just accept help when it's offered? This was so similar to the kind of thing Hermione continually said that Harry just stared at him for a moment. Fine, he said. Have it your way. They sat in tense silence, not quite glaring at each other. We should go to my bedroom, said Harry. Malfoy raised his eyebrows. Not for... I shouldn't say anything, said Malfoy. I hate falling asleep somewhere random, said Harry. Makes me wake up all achy. Malfoy nodded slowly and trailed after Harry. He dragged his feet on the stairs and stopped when he reached Harry's bedroom door. You can come in, said Harry. Thanks, murmured Draco, ducking his head. He seemed to be avoiding looking at the bed. His face was flushed, and suddenly Harry knew exactly what he was thinking about, and Harry was thinking about it too. That mesmerising first time, soft with warmth and affection, when they had looked at each other as if they knew each other completely. I'll go if you want, said Draco. He looked discomforted, and Harry was shocked to realise that he didn't want Draco to look like that. The moonlight was already creeping across the carpet. You're here, said Harry. You might as well stay for the show. <laughs> right, said Malfoy, with a small laugh. And then the show began. It hurt like crazy, it always did, a feeling of all the cells in his body shifting and becoming something new, the compressing of his thoughts. The world got bigger and simpler. Smells, so many smells, including... Harry growled, felt his hackles rising, an intruder. But the intruder held out his hand. Harry smelled it and recognised it. A clean, friendly smell. A friend, in fact. Harry licked the hand, and the man made a sound. Oh, he said. You're a beauty, aren't you? Harry jumped up and put his paws on the man's shoulders so that he could lick his face. The man stumbled backwards, hitting the wall, but he didn't seem frightened. He laughed. Easy, he said. Oh, you're lovely. Oh, I think I like you better like this. May I pet you? Is that rude? Harry was starting to get sleepy. It seemed sooner than usual. He usually fought it off. But he felt safer with the man, felt sure that between the two of them they would be able to protect themselves in the night. He dropped to the floor and walked away, searching for somewhere comfortable to curl up. He leapt up onto the soft bed, then looked at the man, head cocked. Yes, all right, said the man, and came to sit next to him. 
Harry closed his eyes, and the man stroked his head, tentatively at first, and then, once he was sure that Harry liked it, more purposefully. His fingers felt around Harry's ears. So soft, he said. But your hair is quite soft, so I suppose that makes sense. Can you understand me? Harry was tired. He could feel himself drifting into sleep, calm and peaceful and safe. Once, he heard a crack and sat up, ready to pounce, but the man put one hand on his head and said, It's just the wind. Go back to sleep. And Harry trusted him and was so very tired. He lay back down. The man carried on stroking him. His body was warm, and Harry fell into a deep, untroubled sleep. When he woke up, the sun was buttery yellow on the counterpane, and Draco was asleep beside him. Harry was disoriented. His body didn't hurt, nor did he feel the lingering dread he had experienced after every transformation before this. He moved gingerly, reaccustoming himself to his limbs. They were gangly and awkward in comparison with his wolf form. Draco stirred and opened his eyes. He turned his head to look at Harry. He smiled. Morning, he said. Morning, said Harry, suddenly breathless, nervous. Draco looked unfairly put together, given that he had just spent the night in bed with a werewolf. They looked at each other for a few seconds. Harry realised he was smiling too, that they were just smiling at each other. How are you feeling? asked Draco, at the same time as Harry said, you were quite into me as a wolf. Draco laughed and covered his face with his hands. The glamour had faded and his right hand was gnarled again. Harry was struck by the strangest urge to delicately kiss each twisted knuckle. It's not my fault, said Draco. You have no idea how disarming it is to have a great big wolf come at you like a puppy dog. I wanted to take you home and put a bow around your neck. You couldn't, Harry thought, but didn't say. Because then your girlfriend would find out about us. He sat up, gloom settling on him. He swung his legs over the side of the bed so that he was facing away from Malfoy. It felt better having someone there, he said. A lot better. So, thank you. Malfoy sat up, too. Harry could feel his eyes on the back of his neck. That's good, he said. Next time you can have Weasley or Granger over. With a dizzying lurch in perception, Harry suddenly remembered who he had spent the night with. Malfoy. Remembered all the tiny cruelties, and all the big ones, too. It's funny, he said. Draco Malfoy, pro-werewolf. He couldn't see Malfoy, nor could he hear him. Malfoy didn't seem to be breathing. Yeah, said Malfoy, after a pause. Unexpected. What's next? The half-breeds and muggles? asked Harry. He was trying, failing, to make light of it. He wanted them to skip apologies, to go straight to jokes and friendship, because he didn't know how to apologise to Malfoy for almost killing him when they were sixteen, for being cruel when Malfoy came to him, quiet and pliant and nineteen, asking for help. But Harry had misjudged. He knew he had misjudged, because there was another long pause, and he felt the bed move as Malfoy got up. I've changed quite a bit since school, he said. He spoke lightly, as if the subject wasn't of any importance to him. Anyway, I'd better get going. I don't want Adelaide to notice I was gone. Jealousy, hot and miserable, spiked in Harry's stomach. Yeah, he said. You've changed so much, Malfoy. Regular angel you are. Malfoy went to the door. Harry couldn't see his face. 
Let me know if you experience any uncomfortable side effects and I'll make something up for you to help, he said, speaking a little too quickly. His footsteps were fast on the stairs, as if he was running away. At least Adelaide was doing a bit better. She hadn't come home drunk in a while. She had been studious about her magic homework. They hadn't fought in days. Draco counted up all these reasons to be glad and turned his mind away from Potter. He missed Pansy. Pansy would have sympathised with him. She had always been liberal with her consolations, even when Draco didn't deserve them. She wouldn't have pointed out that this was Draco's own fault for allowing himself to be used by someone who didn't care about him just because he was desperate and frightened and fascinated. It was Adelaide's birthday in a month. He lost himself in making her a perfume. She knew what he was doing because the flat was filled with all of his experiments. What's that? she asked, coming back ten minutes late from her cooking club. She was wearing less makeup than usual, Draco noticed. He hoped it was a sign that she was feeling more confident. I'm trying to figure out what that candle you liked smelled of. Remember, at the pub we went to for Christmas lunch. Oh, but that's too wintry, said Adelaide, dropping her rucksack and dipping her head by Draco's arm so that he could tap it with his wand. He did, and her hair went bright pink. It did smell good, though. You think it's too Christmassy? asked Draco, looking at the table, which was covered in bowls of spices and plants. I don't know, don't you think so? asked Adelaide. Maybe. I think if we isolate one element we could use it as a base note. Adelaide gave him an abrupt and startling hug. You're brilliant, you know that, she said. Draco smiled into the hug, then moved away. What do you want? he asked. Nothing. Draco laughed and went back to work. Are the girls coming over later? he asked. No. They haven't been round in a while, said Draco, picking up some pine needles with a delicate set of tongs and smelling them. Ugh, said Adelaide. Honestly, I can't with those bitches. I hate drama. Draco lowered his tongs. You guys fought? No, it's not a big deal, said Adelaide. It is a big deal if you're not talking to your best friends, said Draco, fear waking up in his chest. Are you okay? I'm fine, said Adelaide. I've just been busy with cooking club and they've been really weird about it. They're just jealous. Draco seriously doubted that. Tasha, Fiona and Ellie had been nothing less than a blessing. He trusted them much more than he trusted Adelaide. They're nice, he said. They care about you. Can we not, said Adelaide, and Draco knew her well enough to drop it. Later, he would berate himself for his stupidity, for not catching the warning signals, would hate himself for his blinding optimism. But that day, he only smiled at her in a way he hoped was supportive, and got back to work on her birthday perfume. Harry was increasingly aware that he liked Draco, and that it was hopeless to like him. It was a slow-motion heartbreak, he knew that, yet he also felt better than he had in years, now that Draco had cured his chronic pain. And Ron and Hermione were delighted that he was spending so much time with them. They had bought a piano especially for him, and he spent hours each day at the house, mindlessly practising. Neither of them asked him about jobs, and he loved them for it. "'Has the office changed much?' he asked Ron. "'A bit,' said Ron, very casually. Hermione had gone still. They were at a restaurant on Diagon Alley. Photographers kept accosting them. "'You could come round sometime.' Harry lifted his head. "'What, visit?' "'Yeah,' said Ron. "'Might liven up my day a bit.' "'Yeah,' 
Okay, said Harry. Yeah. He went on Wednesday evening, because he was going mad waiting for Thursday, for Draco. He kept going back and forth on what had happened on Sunday morning. Sometimes he was pretty sure he'd been a dick and had hurt Malfoy's feelings. Other times he was equally convinced that he needed to protect himself from Malfoy before it was too late. He had a girlfriend after all. Harry couldn't make up his mind. He thought it might be easier with Draco there. But he was impatient and time passed too slowly. Visiting Ron on the night shift was a welcome distraction. Everyone seemed delighted to see him. Robards took him aside and gave him a little speech about how Harry could come back any time. He knew that, didn't he? He just had to say the word. Ron lounged around in doorways, grinning, bright-eyed. None of it felt right. Harry's pulse had picked up the moment he entered the building. As people talked to him, he found himself falling into that old habit of scanning for exits. He had hated L.A., but he had learned how to stop living as if he was on the edge of a slaughter there. All it took was this office for it to all come rushing back. Anything interesting happened tonight? he asked, as they went to the holding cells. Ron had the shift there for the next few hours. Some shit-faced teenager screaming down Nocturne Alley. I think Nancy called a guardian already, said Ron. Hey Nancy, look who I've brought. Harry, said Nancy, pulling him into a hug. And just then, two things happened. First, Harry looked up at the bars of the holding cell and spotted Malfoy's girlfriend, Adelaide. Second, Malfoy himself walked in, looking panicked, his hand buried in his hair, as if he was trying to pull it out. Oh, he said distractedly to Ron, not seeming to register that it was Ron he was talking to. I was contacted about Adelaide Lovell. I'm her guardian. Is she okay? You're sleeping with your teenage ward? asked Harry. He had broken free of Nancy's embrace without noticing it, and was looking from Adelaide to Malfoy in horror. In the bright light of the ministry holding cell, she didn't look eighteen at all. She couldn't have been older than fifteen, in fact. What? said Malfoy, stopping in his tracks. Then he said it again, his eyes focusing on Harry. What did you say? Harry gestured vaguely between them, but already he was beginning to doubt himself. Malfoy swayed on his feet. He looked around, as if for support. Adelaide was passed out on the bench in her cell. Harry had never seen an expression like the one that was on Malfoy's face now. You think... You think I'm... He couldn't seem to say it. Holy shit, said Ron. Nancy's face was hard. She took Malfoy's arm. Mr Malfoy, you're going to have to come with me, she said. Wait, said Harry. Wait, I think I misunderstood. Malfoy was almost green. Is she okay? He asked Nancy, quietly, as Nancy led him away. Harry followed after them. Wait, he said. Wait, Nancy. We have to follow protocol when an accusation like that is made about a minor, said Nancy, giving Draco a disgusted look. Of course, said Draco. That's good that you're vigilant. Is she okay? They didn't tell me. Sorry, Harry. Only authorised personnel when we administer Veristicerum, said Nancy. They had reached the interrogation room. Hang on, said Harry. I really think I made a mistake. No, no, said Draco, who by this point seemed almost delirious. No, I'm glad you take accusations seriously. I don't mind. Whatever you need. He was speaking only to Nancy. He wouldn't look at Harry. Well, isn't that big of you, said Nancy, and then rolled her eyes at Harry, as if they were in on a joke together. She pushed Draco into the interrogation room and closed the door in Harry's face. 
Ron found him. Harry was still standing in front of the soundproof interrogation door. The room was spinning. That was mental, said Ron. Malfoy's been keeping some teenage sex slave. How did you know? No, said Harry. No, I... He was thinking back, trying to decide where he had come up with the Malfoy-Adelaide relationship theory, where his proof had come from. The club, of course, but now that he knew Malfoy was her guardian, the memory took new form. Malfoy furious because Harry had been dancing with an underage girl, because the underage girl in question had sneaked out of his care. She lived with Tertius, Ron was saying. That's how she and Malfoy met. Apparently she was going to be sent to a home and Malfoy volunteered to keep her. Super fucked up if he was, like, dating her. He wasn't, said Harry. I was wrong, I misunderstood. But he couldn't explain any further. He couldn't think, let alone speak. He only saw over and over Draco's face, looking at him, saying, What? What did you say? Harry sat by the front desk, waiting for Draco to come out. But when Draco did finally emerge, he wished he hadn't. Draco looked about ten years older than he had walking in. False alarm, said Nancy, although she was still holding on to Draco's arm, as though she thought he would make a run for it if she let go. Is she okay? asked Draco. His voice was so dry it must have hurt to speak. She's in there, said Ron, gesturing at the cell. She's all right, a bit out of it. Draco glanced at Ron, then saw Harry and looked quickly away. Nancy opened the cell door, and Draco went in. He knelt before the bench, and spoke to Adelaide in a low voice. <sighs> slurred Adelaide. What took you so long? Sorry, he said. I'm here now. Let's go home. Adelaide wrapped her arms around his neck, and he helped her off the bench, discomfort coming off him in waves. He dropped her the instant she was standing and went to Ron. Thanks for looking out for her. Do I need to sign something? Yeah, said Ron, who kept looking at Harry. Harry wished he wouldn't. It was abundantly clear that Draco was doing his best to pretend Harry wasn't in the room. Draco, said Harry. Here, said Draco, pushing the parchment back at Ron. Thanks again. Good night. Draco did not deliver Harry's potion the next day. A bland-faced witch named Cynthia did. Draco mentioned I'd have to sign a secrecy contract she said. No, no, that's fine, said Harry. He'd changed three times that morning. He'd not slept all night. He'd watched back almost all his memories of Draco since returning to England in his pensive. Uh, is Draco all right? Draco? Cynthia looked puzzled. Why wouldn't he be? Because I'm young, and that's what young people do, Adelaide shouted at him. Draco had waited until the next day to talk to her about her drunken escapade, but it seemed to make no difference to her fury, and anyway Draco was dealing with it badly. He knew he was, knew he was barely holding himself together and putting all his misery on her. That, after all, was what she had always done to him. Sure, Adelaide, fifteen-year-olds go to parties and get tipsy and play spin the bottle. They don't get fucking blackout drunk on Nocturne Alley by themselves. What the fuck do you know about it? All you were doing when you were 15 was trying to be a good Death Eater and murder people. The silence that fell was loud, like the silence of leaving fireworks. They were in their tiny kitchen. Draco had been proud of himself when he got the flat. It was little and shabby, and he had worked himself to the bone to afford it. His eyes darted around it now, looking everywhere but at Adelaide, trying desperately to focus. He wasn't going to manage it, he realised. 
Okay, he said, and put the palms of his hands to his eyes. Draco, said Adelaide, her voice completely different. I... I was sixteen, actually, said Draco. But I take your point. Draco, I'm... said Adelaide. That's okay, said Draco, not taking his hands away from his face. Let's, uh... let's talk later, is that all right? He fled. He didn't want to be in the flat. He never usually left her alone there. He knew he was being irresponsible. But he was terrified he would say something he couldn't take back. He went to the nearest church, the one he always passed on his way to the apparition point. It was a mediocre medieval thing, clumsy English gothic, dark and ungraceful. He sat in the last pew and cried. That was part four of Teenage Wasteland, written and read by Gala Placidia. Tune in next week for part five. Don't forget to join my newsletter, if you like, at newsletter.gallopod.com. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app, and why not share it with a friend who you think will like the show? I also have an Instagram at letthemeatbooks with underscores instead of spaces, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you for listening.